Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is revenue replacement strategies, and I have the perfect person, Ralph Armenta. He is SVP at ComputerShare Enterprise Sales. Ralph has a long history of mortgage banking over 30 years and currently is also a professor, an adjunct professor at the State University of New York. I am thrilled to have Ralph with me. Hi, Ralph. How you doing, Pat? Good. Well, this is a perfect topic as people are struggling, refinancing's fading away. You still need income, as we all know. So I'm thrilled that you're going to share your wisdom about it. But before we pop into that topic, let's go back a few years. And how did you get into mortgage banking? Tell your story. It was roughly about 35, 40 years ago. I was a teller and I knew that I didn't want to be on the saving side of the business. And I begged my branch manager to get me into lending, and she did. And ironically, I went into consumer lending at a thrift in Southern California that did was the home equity loan department and, you know, underwrote loans. And, you know, credit bureaus was one TRW and there were fax machines. And so I got into the business on the lending side and uh, never looked back. Isn't that a small world? We all start in a variety of spots, but it's always a story like that. So I'm glad that you shared that. So currently, uh, you're involved with obviously a lot of things through your current companies, but what challenges do you face in your current responsibilities? As an enterprise salesperson, you know, working for ComputerShare and having a pretty great variety of things to offer I think it the, the biggest challenge is to get the C-suite to stop and pause just for a moment to think about something different, right? And I know that the C-suite is constantly, you know, being sold to. So, you know, they do have to manage to the individuals that uh, approach them. But I think that, you know, what we see today is that people are so busy that they really just don't want to stop for a moment and think about what's coming up and 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 why these things are coming up. So I think that's the biggest challenge. Uh, once you get them to pause and you explain, you know, what the product service, the value prop is, you generally get them to at least acknowledge that it might be for them, but maybe it's not now, you know, so. Good point. I can relate to all that myself. And so getting people's attention is always the big deal. But I do think they will have your attention now because it's certainly a different market than it's been in the past, which leads to my next question. How do you keep on top of all of this, all the changes within mortgage banking? It's a great question. You know, I'm a person that's curious by nature. And, you know, I I would kind of qualify myself as being a partial academic. So I'm always looking at data and information and material and thinking about the what if scenarios. But for all intent purposes, I'm an empty nester. And uh, I don't have a lot of other demands on me. So, you know, I, I read all of the the major periodicals in our in our industry, National Mortgage News and Housing Wire and a lot of the other things that uh, are are available to us. I mean, obviously the Chrisman report. I love Rob Chrisman, 
And I think what winds up happening is there are people that are curious and then there are individuals, I think like myself, that take that curiosity to the next level and start thinking about what if and did it happen in history and is there are there data points and how do I tie those things together to kind of um, either package it in the form of the products and services that I'm selling at a moment in time or thinking about or how does that uh, add value to somebody and and that's that's really been my approach most of my career. Well, I can also relate to that as actually I was a former adjunct professor too. And I guess that says a lot about how you stay current, because if you're going to teach something, you have to be really on top of it, which leads to my next question with all of this that you're seeing, what trends are you thinking are going to be probably something that people haven't thought about this year and going forward? Well, clearly, I I think the number one, before we get to the topic at hand. In my heart of hearts, I believe that we're going to begin to see later on this year, maybe by Q3, I think that there will be a substantive delinquency and default that's going to turn into foreclosures. And I'm not confident that even with home price appreciation being at the levels that it is, that it will be enough where there will not be a a number of foreclosures, right? So, you know, the housing market is going to shift and it's going to go from, you know, a seller's market to maybe a buyer's market. And some of these folks that are in forbearance today or are having uh, problems uh, making their mortgage payment, I I think it's only going to get worse as interest rates go up and that trend is is going to start to occur. So I believe that we're going to see a pretty robust foreclosure market starting in at the end of Q3, beginning of Q4. Uh, Is there anything else that you see as a trend that maybe people aren't thinking about? Last June, I started to think about the refinance market and rates going up. And I started to think about a, you know, what could replace refinance business? And it occurred to me that, you know, it would be second mortgages, HELOCs, things of that sort. But the challenge has always been, at least uh, independent mortgage bankers, is that there really has never been a true correspondent program. And by and large, IMBs and IMB owners do not like to broker product, you know, as a regular form of their P&L. So from June of last year through really the uh, National Mortgage Bankers Conference in October, I started to try to piece together uh, the components of a correspondent program as best as I could. And it had to have, you know, really three key points or elements. The first is it had to be a correspondent program. The ability for an IMB to use their warehouse lines and close a second mortgage in their name. Number two, there had to be a true investor takeout for that product. And then the third thing is that the economics had to make sense. There had to be at least 300 basis points of economics in a transaction. And so as I started to look at these things and as I started to 
piece these things together, they started to come together. And, you know, as you know, we, we, I came up with the concept of the uh, refinance revenue replacement strategy. It's a fully baked strategy for IMBs. We've been testing it out with seven or eight pretty large IMBs across the country. And each and every one of them said, hey, when can I sign up? And so the investor that we've been working with is committed to uh, launching around the middle of next month, the middle end of next month, but certainly before the end of, of the first quarter. And I believe that this will be a, a product that will, will resonate between now and in, well, well into next year. So this is a great segue into our topic today about revenue replacement. And you see it as coming out with products that have been around, but really because refinancing was so strong that lenders were doing low-hanging fruit, now they need to get serious regarding what type of products are going to be important. And so you see the second mortgage arena as being a gigantic opportunity. Now that, Ralph, has been around for a long time. So why don't you talk about you know, how you see that market today and what makes that different than what it was in the past? Yeah. So, you know, as I as I kind of prefaced the components of a of a program, uh, not just a product, but it has to be a a legitimate program for uh, independent mortgage bankers must require it where they can underwrite and close the loan in their name uh, using their warehouse lines. uh, So they have complete control of it. It has to be economically fair and reasonable, meaning they have to be able to, you know, not only cover their origination costs and fulfillment costs, but they also have to have a reasonable amount of revenue to their bottom line where it's not just, uh, you know, a blip on the radar screen, so to speak. And, And then lastly, it has to be predictable. And I believe that, you know, once this gets going, just like the non-QM market, you're going to find other platforms that make themselves available and believe that they have a better widget. You know, so I actually think that this is going to proliferate, you know, well into to next year. So when you talk about the second mortgages and particularly about HELOCs that, again, have been around for a while, it's perceived as a bank product and a credit union product. And now what you're saying is independent mortgage bankers need to step into it. What do you think about that? Because the perception is that the bank side and certainly the credit union side, you know, do price aggressively for that product. Well, you think about history, right? And you think about the fact that, you know, 15 years ago, they used to say subprime loans were hard money loans. And what wound up happening? You know, hard money loans were, you know, beneficial finance or Aetna <laughs> finance or, or, or what have you, right? And those were bridge loans and they were hard money because they were credit uh, negative. They were uh, collateral heavy, et cetera, et cetera. And what what came out of that? The subprime market came out of it. And then as we saw the subprime market blow up literally in front of us, what emerged? The non-QM market, right? So these markets that we have seen evolve are things that we saw 
in you know in their in their pre-development stage some 25 years ago so to answer your question uh, more specifically yeah banks and credit unions have always had a pretty strong lock on HELOC and second mortgage business because it's traditionally especially on the HELOC side there are additional advancing requirements you know to the borrower it's generally been a portfolio product although we have seen second mortgages and HELOCs securitized you know they over the years but it's still a mortgage and it's still a borrower and it still create that mortgage or that second mortgage still creates liquidity for a borrower no differently than a refinance and all of the same components of underwriting exist you still need to have a home you need or a second home you need to have an appraisal you need to have proof you know valuations and credit and all of that so these are all the things that a mortgage banker does today the difference is that they're smaller loan amounts the average second loan was roughly about 75 or 80 thousand dollars five to seven years ago you know now it's uh, about a hundred right so now if you took the economics if you apply the economics to it and you say hey 300 basis points 350 basis points of all in economics on a hundred thousand dollar loan is thirty five hundred dollars if i pay my consumer direct lo 500 bucks or thereabouts and then my fulfillment costs are substantially less maybe they're a thousand dollars because i only have one credit report to pull i have an avm instead of a full appraisal so on and so on that's fifteen hundred dollars i got two thousand dollars to the house right that's meaningful if i do 50 of those a month it doesn't quite replace all of my refinance revenue but it certainly you know will will help and you know as you get good at it you'll produce more of them the other thing that i think is really important for imbs today uh to to think about this is that more imbs today own servicing right they they have mortgage servicing rights and nothing will be better there will be no better hedge to insulate their primary mortgage from prepayment than to get their borrowers into a second mortgage. That's going to bookend that borrower for, for quite a while. So that raises the question that I think you're starting really to talk about, that IMBs haven't really seen this product. They, they've kind of conceded it to the bank world and the credit union world. And now what you're saying is, okay, that this is a product that needs to be part of your menu of products. And what is the hesitation that independent mortgage bankers have about it? Well, I think that traditionally what the hesitation that they've had is that there hasn't been a true correspondent program again it's it's usually been available to mortgage bankers but in a broker channel capacity right and mortgage bankers by and large do not want to create you know a business based on brokering it runs against their grain they're they're mortgage bankers they have their own warehouse lines they want to control the process they want to be able to provide their borrowers and their clients with 
that personal service and part of that personal service is the control of credit review closing that loan and then selling that loan into the secondary market with a true correspondent program and as these programs evolve and i believe they will evolve it will create greater liquidity it'll create the opportunity for different types of products just like we see in non-qm low fico uh low fico low ltv higher fico low ltv i mean the credit basket will start to evolve and change as well and as that credit box evolves you know so will the economic so when you're talking about and this seems like to me i agree with you a, a really a product i believe this and renovation lending needs to move to the front plate but now you're talking about the practical issue what do the management teams at imbs think about getting a loan officer to sell this product how do you think it's actually going to play out are is the normal realtor self-source uh, loan officer going to be one that's going to add this to them to their product mix or is this going to be where they're going to set up separate groupings how do you see this really playing out that's a great question and i and it took me a long time i thought about this quite a bit over the last six to eight months i think if i were an imb you know ceo or firm owner or a sales leader i would not want to necessarily have have my you know, stronger LOs that are in the purchase business that have really made a name for themselves, think about this product, right? Or or be distracted by it. I think that it's really suitable for a consumer direct channel where it's dial-in and you can change the the comp level for this product with a consumer direct LO or individual, you know, make it a fixed amount of, like I said, 300, 500, 600 bucks. And, and I think that that's what most of the firm owners are thinking about. Although, like I said, you really, it will be such a new thing that even a seasoned LO that does a lot of purchase business will want to take advantage of as well. And here's the reason why. We're not just talking about HELOCs or closed in seconds, but we're also talking about piggybacks, right? And a piggyback is just a second mortgage. And one of the things that a piggyback will do is, especially in this uh, high valve conforming jumbo arena, is now you can probably work with a realtor to say, hey, your borrower can actually buy a little bit more house, actually move into the jumbo space of call it a million two put their down payment of five or ten percent down and then use a piggyback to close that gap then what winds up happening is that jumbo execution now becomes a high valve conforming execution uh you know considering the de minimis rules uh, for delivery to the agencies you may have a better execution so it's not just about a product of, of second mortgages and HELOCs, but there's also a strategy in using a piggyback uh, to allow your LO to work with their realtors to get that borrower a bigger house or a more expensive house. 
Right. I also think, just for my two cents, is that this is a perfect product that the loan officer should be using from the standpoint of when they're having, let's say, their annual customer review, which they should be doing, that they can be offering a product that can help the borrower, uh, in other words, purchase a pool, uh, purchase a car, and any of those large purchases when they already have a low interest rate on the first mortgage. So I do think it fits into a customer lifetime approach. And I think the smart loan officers would understand that. Any thoughts on that? No, I, I, I completely agree. That's why I indicated that I think it's clearly a servicing defense tool as well. So if you're an IMB and you've got a couple billion dollars in MSRs and the weighted average coupon is, you know, two and three quarters or something like that, it's unlikely that those borrowers are going to want to refinance. So number one, you can engage with those borrowers about, you know, a second mortgage or using a second mortgage or HELOC uh, to tap into their home for, for revenue. And then the other thing is it's always keeping your LO in front of those individuals as well. And I don't have the, you know, I don't have any real data, but I suspect that it increases the CPR on that primary mortgage by at least 100 to 200 basis points. So that is going to actually create a very natural hedge for that MSR. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I also think that's not thought about is that sending out another postcard about this is your anniversary of your mortgage is not as effective as as having a financial discussion on something that could help the borrower. And I do think the smart loan officers get that. Well, Ralph, we only have a couple minutes left. I mean, we could go on for hours about this, but talk about what do you think are the takeaways for our listeners today? Well, I think the takeaways are to, you know, think about what we just said in this program. Think about how you, if you have a consumer direct channel or if you were thinking about creating a consumer direct channel how you might offer a second mortgage or heloc product think about uh, how you would insulate your current msr portfolio if if you own one and again the the basics for me were think about you know generating some revenue that you would not be generating in a marketplace where the refinance product is is no longer going to make any sense to anybody. I mean, to me, that's the bottom line is that I'm actually going to be able to maybe generate, you know, 20, 30, 50, $100,000 a month in economics that I otherwise would not have been able to, to generate. Well, I think you're right on. And I think it's a great, a great strategy. And I really appreciate you sharing all your wisdom on this this strategy today. And I want to thank everybody for listening. I certainly appreciate you spending time with us. So Ralph, thanks so much. Thank you uh, very much, Pat, for having me. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at pshirlock at qfsconsulting.com.